For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. We're back here for part two of the discussion of the offense against the 49ers and that great win on Monday night. Here doing it with me is Jonas Schaefer. Jonas, one of the great people to talk football with. You get a chance to talk to them online, in person. Highly recommend it. And you'll probably notice this in, in, in his style, just how much fun it is to talk football with Jonas. But Jonas, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Thanks for the kind words. All right. Uh, one of one of my favorite writers, uh, very technical, very cerebral, and you'll you'll pick up on that in the in the show here. Um, but a lot of that was in that first episode, and I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to it. He puts the pieces together very well. Uh, you know, we talked about Lamar's opportunity set as always. We talked about what the Ravens' win meant to them in in Week 16, uh, where they can go with that. We talked about whether or not the Ravens are of the mind of some fans that they really don't want a, an extra bye week off, and I think the answer is. Uh, unanimously no on that that they want to buy very badly but please go ahead and download that episode and and uh it's a lot of fun and uh, i'm sure you'll you'll enjoy it but getting back to part two we'll, we'll start with as we always do with the offensive line here and i'll just start by saying the offensive line was responsible for both of the sacks completely that's not always the case because sometimes you have a free runner lamar holds the ball too long or other things in this case uh, how i scored it they were responsible for all of those two sacks they were responsible for the one other quarterback hit. They were responsible for nine pressures in the game, which is a lot. And they had two very costly penalties in the game, which kind of tended to hold down the scores of a couple players, uh, which we'll be getting into a little bit. We'll go ahead and start at left and tackle. The, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah let's, let's, let's start with the, the other elephant in the room. Uh, interesting to see Ronnie graded as poorly uh, as, as you have him here. You, Gave him a big old honking F. Uh, you, you, you acknowledged that it was just a, a fraction of a point away from a D minus. Um, you have him with contributions to five pressure events. Uh, I guess interesting to see those stats in contrast. And, you know, I'm, I don't know if you're sick of it, but uh, just looking at some of the PFF data, uh, they had it, Ronnie with with zero pressures allowed. So uh, I guess what, what stuck out to you about what he did poorly and maybe what he did well, if there was anything that you thought he did well. Now, let's let's point to the one big one because he had a face mask penalty and that's unfortunate. Um, one of the yeah. things that comes up all the time is PFF has a tremendous underweight and that's my opinion on penalties. Uh, I think it's, it's, you know, penalties, first of all, they stall drives, but second of all, they give options to defense on to accept the penalty or not, which is, you know, really bad. Look at the chop block penalty. That didn't have to be accepted for it to be disastrous for San Francisco in terms of the interception that eventually occurred. But uh, also, they're individual plays. And when you have a, a big positive gain on offense, anyhow, there's usually a lot of people with their hand out for credit for that. There's all the offensive linemen contributed to it. There's, there's you know, the, the receiver did something in a positive. The quarterback did something you may have had a running back somehow that you know, drew off coverage and whatnot but whether it's a run or pass there's multiple players who, who deserve a, a portion of that responsibility when you have a penalty not only is it very serious in terms of the loss on the play and the variance granted to the defense on the play it's also that one person it's hard to get away from the fact that that one person is the one person responsible for it and the second component is it gives an option to the other team if it's a post-snap penalty that is that is exceptionally bad. So anyway, um, I, I've always they you know basically you can make two pretty decent run blocks and it, and it offsets a holding penalty in PFF system. No way in <laughs> hell. I mean, it just, that just doesn't make any sense at all. And I, I have talked to some of the people in the organization. They understand this is a flaw in the system, and they're going to be changing it prospectively, perhaps as early as 2024. So I'm I'm looking forward to that uh, going forward. Their head of R and D has talked to me a little bit about that uh, in terms of what they're nice. what they've got coming. Yeah. But anyway, if, but it's, it's, have you, by the way, have you had a? I think I think you've had Gordon McInnes on on your show, right? 
I've had many, many PFF people on the show many times. Gordon's, Gordon's been on a couple of times, Timo Riska, uh, Eric Eager, a bunch of their interns who have just some fantastic thought experiments with what they do. Um, Neil Hornsby, the originator of PFF, has been on the show. So I've had, I, I'm very embedded with them. <laughs> uh, in some way, <laughs> yeah, in some way. I, 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 it, I, I, Go again. No, I, I'm sorry. You froze up on me for there for a second. Yeah, they're, they're, I, I know them well. You probably know Gordon very well. I got a chance to talk to Gordon when we were over in London. Did you? Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, I was going to say uh, I, I talked to him before we went to to London, but I hadn't got the chance to talk to him until until Lamar happened to be PFF's number one passer, and then I was like, hey, let me figure out why he's uh, higher graded than he was when he won the the MVP. But yeah, he was a great great to talk to, and uh, all, all those guys on PFF are are pretty entertaining it's, it's it's always cool to see them hired away by actual uh nfl organizations and especially when those are nfl organizations embrace analytics and, and do cool stuff yeah and I, I they are they are a very talented group of people there's no doubt about it extraordinarily talented group of people and and it, they're it's they're very responsive too so offensive line things like i'll uh, when i have a, a question about stanley had i think four pressures and I sent them to them and, and, you know, they'll respond to every single one about here's what I saw, here's what I saw and, you know, kind of thing. And um, some of it just ends up being difference of methodology and difference of definition. And some of it ends up being difference of opinion. And occasionally there's one that they'll change. Um, and sometimes there's one that they convince me I've got the wrong sore and I make a change to it. But, uh, but anyway, it's good to have the, be able to have the dialogue with them because we're both cooking with water. It's a matter of how we weight these things we're seeing, uh, you know, as we, as we go through this. Okay, real quick through Stanley here, and, and this is what basically happened to him during the game. Um, he missed eight snaps. Um, it probably would have been more, but McCary got hurt uh, midway through that. So McCary is the guy who replaced him. Had contributions to five pressure events, three pressures. That's two fulls and two halves. Uh, and one quarter of a sack I, I, I uh, gave to him as well. Uh, also had a shared penetration on run loss. Seven missed blocks. Here's the bad number. Now, seven missed blocks, a lot of missed blocks anyway, but five of them were losses at the line of scrimmage, which means those might have been leading to a pressure or another event that might have blown up a run play, except that it didn't happen because the ball got out or or um, Lamar ran or whatever happened. Um, so those are that's that's a bad number. Uh, one block in level two, one, one pancake. Uh, he made three of three pulls and had two highlights in this game. Interesting, Stanley's making still some outstanding plays at the line of scrimmage even when he's not playing well of blocking a guy knowing that guy is through particularly when he pitches him inside even without an assigned blocker there and then he'll try and um, knock another guy free of the backside of a run play fairly frequently or it can be on even on a pass that that occurs but it's more frequently on the backside of a run play so you can still see Stanley has all of this veteran savvy there, all of this ability, all of this knowledge of how to play left tackle. It's just body is betraying him in terms of being able to put it into place. You made a great point earlier, by the way, during the first show, Jonas, that you could see the lateral mobility is still there. The ability to mirror uh, is still there, and he still does a, a good job of staying in front of those pass rushers. They just take him right back into the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, uh, the I guess the the patient zero for that the for that situation was was the Arizona game where he just uh, you know it, it gave us that that incredible clip of Lamar thrown with with one arm or with with one leg and you know his body kind of you know cocked like a like some kind of modernist painting uh but you know, <laughs> that was that that was a uh, i guess a sign of of things to come and you know this is if what I was talking about when I said cerebral, by the way. Who else is going to come up with modernist painting as an analogy for a, <laughs> a quarterback? That's great. That's like something the Simpsons writers would do. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> but by the way, like, I, I, maybe we can talk about this this uh, this off mic, but my like notion for Lamar and kind of how he's developed as a passer this year, and, and this is like somewhat insulting to him and maybe to T Martin because it, it denigrates everything they do do well. But don't you feel like in a way Lamar's kind of become post footwork? <laughs> like, you know, like he doesn't need the base that 99% of quarterbacks do need to get throws off relatively accurate. And, you know, you could say that maybe that is a problem with him when he's throwing more than 20 yards downfield because he, he tends to kind of gun it as opposed to lofting it. And, you know, I don't know enough about quarterback mechanics, but when you think about that 
incredible two-point conversion and like the way that his body was positioned and how he had to kind yes. of throw it to his right, even as his his feet are basically parallel to the goal line. It's just like, you know, there, there's arm talent and then there's also just the idea that you don't need to do anything remotely close to what is prescripted to actually get the job done. And it's just kind of amazing. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I think that's a, a very valid point. And particularly that two point conversion, it's one of the most incredible throws I've ever seen. The window was actually very small on that, on that play to get it in there. And, uh, and he was getting his, getting his feet undercut as he threw it as just a remarkable, remarkable throw and a critical two point conversion in terms of making sure that game got to overtime. Uh, and, and you mentioned the, that he was just a fraction of a point short. It's actually like eight points on a hundred point scale that that Stanley was short of being a D minus. So it, it's a pretty bad game. And they, there's a big adjustment in there for Bosa and Young being his opponents. So he's got certainly above average opponents. That's also, by the way, something PFF is putting a lot of effort into uh, doing. They'd resisted for 15 years, probably trying to put in an opponent component to their offensive oh. line play. But Timo Riska, their R&D guy, is, has done some great work with it um, this year and, and uh, was was describing that on the show. But it's very impressive. And uh, uh, hopefully they uh, they include that in their in their going forward models as well. Would that be for other matchups as well or just, just line play? Um, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. I know he started with line play and he's done an, a, a kind of a, the, the basis of it is an N factor model, which basically says, um, what was my expectation based on a whole, a, a whole bunch of different fact N factors like, um, down in distance, the score in the game, things like that, that in terms of how I should be able to pass protect. And then how did I actually pass protect in terms of average score that that's giving this difference. And, um, Tyler Linderbaum in particular has shown up very well on that sort of comparison for this year. So that's a, that's been a, uh, you know, he's been one of the Ravens linemen who's been uh, uh, really top notch in that way. Right. So I guess uh, let's go to the interior who, who stood out to you in good ways and bad ways. Let's start with John Simpson. I think uh, the bad news comes first before the good. Uh, he took kind of a step back in this year. This uh, game, uh, a, a uh, illegal use of hands negated the PL20 to Bateman uh, fairly early in the game, that second quarter, I think. I had shares in three pass rush events, which, you know, given the shares, that's not the end of the world. A third of a quarterback hit, a third um, of a um, – pressure and a, a quarter i'm sorry a third and a quarter of the two sacks so each of those he he had a pair of he actually didn't give up any any plane pressures in the game had five missed blocks three of those in the line of scrimmage one point on five poles he did actually have a penetration that occurred for a minus one point on there so he made he made two out of five but then he lost a point on one of the three he had so he got one net point two level two blocks no pancakes one highlight a d for the game he has got to figure out the penalties. And obviously I thought this was the big thing coming into this year was that the Ravens were a team who could get him over some of the excuses that had occurred in Oakland, um, in Las Vegas rather. And you know, we, we were there obviously at the start of camp and I don't know how legitimate it seemed to you, the Sala thing, but I think we were both there at the same time when Harbaugh announced it, that, Oh, well, John Simpson's got, by the way, going to get his chance next week. And I'm wondering, if there, if that wasn't a boondoggle the entire time, if they weren't basically saying, you know, we need to motivate John Simpson, so we're going to put Salah ahead of him to start the season, and then you know we'll or start the uh, the OTAs, and then we'll see how that lights a fire on him and stops the excuses from ending, or at least we can preach that to him as he's waiting for his turn. Uh, but I just I have this feeling that you know if you can't cure a guy of that of penalties in all those years in Las Vegas, you know they they, they could have looked at that and said this is an opportunity. To, to make a good lineman out of a bad one because most of what's wrong with him is the penalties. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of motivation, it might've also <laughs> been, been trying to light a fight or light a fire under, under Ben Cleveland as well mm-hmm. to, yeah. to not even mention him in that, in that top two. And obviously I think we, we all knew at that point that he was probably a distant third, even though I, ironically by the end of the preseason, he was pretty clearly the second best uh, guard at that spot because what a disastrous preseason that was for yeah. Sal. It ended up being, um, yeah. I mean, Simpson, uh, in getting to know him, if you ever get a chance to talk to him, he's just a delightful guy to talk to. Not that that, you know, explains any way of his his shortcomings as a blocker. Um, it, it, it was interesting. Uh, it has been interesting in getting to know him that he was like Tyler, Tyler Linderbaum, a, a very accomplished wrestler in high school. So you would think that his hand fighting would be 
better because of that skill set and just how essential that is to, to so many guys who do make that transition from, you know, early stardom in wrestling to, you know, professional career in football, whether it's on the defensive line, offensive line, wherever. So um, again, you know, I don't know what kind of classification he, he was as a, as a wrestler. Obviously he was a, you know, vaunted enough recruit to, to go to Clemson and, you know, was what a day two pick, I think that early day three, I forget where, where he was taken overall, but you know, he's had some highs this year. He's, he's had some lows. Um, I, I guess the best thing that you can say is that, you know, we, we've seen more games from him where he's just been, you know, kind of in the background and you know, obviously Aaron Donald had his way with him uh, a bunch of times in that Rams game, but Aaron Donald has his way with a with with a bunch of guys on the on on John Simpson's level. So, uh, you know, is he going to all of a sudden become an above average left guard? Probably not. Uh, but he, he just needs to, like you said, clean up clean up the penalties. Um, you know, take care of the dirty work. Be the guy who's cleaning out that that left tackle if if no one's lining up over him to to kind of help give give Ronnie a, a boost when he needs it. And yeah. then you know, I, I think the Ravens will we'll have a fighting chance uh, for that offensive line against pretty much anyone that they go against. Yeah. So D for the game for this Simpson for a D in this game for Simpson, he has not failed this year in any game, which is, I think that's something to, to pull away from this is that he, he just, he hasn't been at that level in any game. He hasn't fallen off the table. Um, and, and I, you know, given the state of the national football league and where offensive line play is at this point in the season, I think the Ravens are pretty lucky to have John Simpson at left guard. I, I just, I I don't I don't think that there are a whole lot of teams National Football League who have somebody who's so much decidedly better and been healthy the whole time uh, that with the second condition being a you know a big part of that um, that can be excited. I just don't I don't think they've the Ravens have organizationally accomplished what I think the goal must have been, which is that they thought they could reduce their penalties because of how well coached they are. Yeah, and you know if Simpson at a certain point becomes unplayable. Um, then, you know, Ben Cleveland is a more than capable backup. You know, he didn't embarrass himself or really come come close on a Monday. And I think he's done a pretty good job overall at, you know, if not developing into the guy that the Ravens thought he would be when they drafted him in the third round. You know, he was obviously like a guy that I forget if it was John or, or Greg Roman called him like the, the best run blocker in the draft. Then at, at least becoming a, a solid option that you can bring off the bench and and be uh, you know, not an overwhelming weak link for that offensive line. Yeah, I, that, the Ravens do have good offensive line depth. They're they're guys all the way down to number eight or even nine are quite good. Uh, Salah's the only guy who's a true developmental yeah. player all the way at this point. Falele, you know, actually the last two games are the best he's ever played. So uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. Linderbaum, I, I'm going to go a little quicker here. His score was reduced by several pass blocking problems in this game. 1.5 pressures, a third of a quarterback hit, had a share of both sacks, two thirds on the first one where he got really bold. Bosa stunted and bowled him right back into the quarterback. Hargrave got there later um, by freeing himself from Simpson. I did end up giving Simpson a third of that, but uh, it, it was pretty much all on Linderbaum for letting Bosa bull him, bull him right into uh, uh, Jackson on the play. There's no place to go. Um, and uh, one missed block um, is, is great for a game. Uh, and it was in level two. It's sure. at L2NB as I have it. So uh, that's very positive in terms of, of what he did as a run blocker in this game. Um, three level two blocks, uh, three out of three on poles, no pancakes, two highlights. Uh, both are highlight combination blocks. Um, unfortunately, that's, that's a lot of pass blocking mistakes in one game for a center in particular. So at center, he got a 79, which is a D plus on the center scale. Seems completely unfair because it would be a C plus if he were a tackle, for example. But uh, that's that's the way it is. Centers have fewer opportunities to make pass blocking mistakes, which is where a lot of the, the larger negative plays come in play. Right. Forgive me not knowing uh, where he's been trend-wise for you, Ken, but yeah. looking at ESPN's uh, you know, pass block win rate rankings, which are obviously based on their dots in their in their models, but they have him as the sixth best interior offensive lineman, second best safety in the NFL. I mean, does that how closely does it align with with what you've seen from him as a pass blocker this season? 
his overall score for this year is 0.83, and that's prior to a subjective adjustment, which would raise that maybe by about 0.04. Because it's an above average number, it would be even more than that in terms of accumulating positives. So I, I, he's been the Ravens' um, best or second best lineman. Kevin Zeitler is the other one who's been very close, probably a little bit better. He's at 0.80 for the year um, and is on an incredible streak right now, Zeitler is, of, of, of playing well. Um, but but I, yeah. I, I it's 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 very close who who's the best Ravens lineman Lindebaum the the big thing about him has been until this game and really a couple of games recently tremendous improvement as a pass blocker and we weren't sure if that was yep. going to be possible based on physically who he is um, and it probably the amount of improvement was probably not not as much as he can hope to get down the line meaning meaning he's going to regress a little bit towards towards the mean uh but th- that said he's having a, a much better year and he's improved in exactly his area's weakness and you know if you look at him physically and like we saw him in camp he's bigger this year um and and there's probably some things he's even given up uh on the run in terms of being a little more mobile down the field although you wouldn't know it from the block against uh, seattle um it, it, where he's given <laughs> up a little bit in terms of getting down the field to be a better pass blocker and i think it's it's really paid off for him what sculpting he has done in that way were you there for the first practice of 2022 training camp? Nope. Okay. Because when I did a story on Tyler, like midway through training camp this year, the example that I pulled for that as a marker of his progress in pass protection was, I think, literally one of the first reps of an 11. Maybe it wasn't even, maybe it maybe wouldn't have been the first practice of training camp because i don't think they were in like 11 and 11 work that early maybe they were but anyway um i just remember early in camp it was michael pierce lined up against tyler linderbaum <laughs> like it was maybe the first time all camp that they went on when that they went at one another one-on-one and michael pierce just did the michael pierce dump truck move where he just backed him up five yards mm-hmm. and and basically pancaked him and Fast forward a year, and Tyler Lindemann is having no problem handling Mike Pierce, which is, hmm. you know, in retrospect now quite the accomplishment because because Mike has had a a pretty nice season, all things considered, as the as a pass rusher, given his you know relative lack of you know moves, I guess we could say, as a as, as a guy moving up field. But um, I think that was a sign of things to come, and for the most part, he you know obviously he's, he's had some issues with some you know snaps and uh, the the disaster in, in pittsburgh where he you know uh tried to draw the steelers off sides and got the, got the team in trouble with that with that whole situation but you know it's it's been like you said a, a really really impressive addressing of a a pretty major weakness from that rookie year and you know i don't think he's fully healthy um you know i, I think jeff Zrebeck reported, you know, maybe a month or two ago that he's been playing through uh, the pain, as I'm sure a lot of guys are. But, you know, for, for him to be as competent as he's been um, this early in his career uh, is is definitely a good sign for what he could be year three, year four, year five and forever, forever, how long the uh, the Ravens want to sign him. Yeah, it's a great point that, that, you know, he all offensive linemen improve from year one to year two, even ones who start out at a very good level. And that was what was so good about Linderbaum's rookie year was that it was a great starting point to improve. And and he's really improved terrifically as a pass blocker in particular, which was that was the big shortcoming. Um I'll just say in terms of how PFF has scored it this year, they have him for 15 pressures, um, three of them quarterback hits and zero sacks. And because I give partials, it tends to end up being more I'm also def- more defensive of the cone as well. So 15 and three are the two big numbers. I have him for, uh, in terms of pressures, 10 for the year. And so he, he obviously benefited from not not getting a full on every one of those. 1.5 quarterback hits where they have him for three, but I also have him for 2.17 sacks. So that's two and a six sacks. So he's gotten some sack shares from me that it, they might have counted as pressures at PFF because they also didn't really believe it was a it was a full sack. And I don't have any problem giving up, uh, you know, handing out, parcel shares in fact i think you're just basically working with finer tools when you do that if you have only a one or zero to work with you you don't want to use that hammer to, <laughs> as often to uh to hit people with right, a, right. the one yeah. uh what about zeitler 
Zeitler, let's move on. First game below a B since week six in London. He he left early, half a pressure. That was his only negative event. Um, it was a weird play where he walked back across the cone without a without a um, dance partner, and and it just got Lamar in trouble. And um, uh, Lamar ran him out of that one uh, or out of one other pressure where he got backed up. Uh, eight missed blocks. Uh, that's kind of a lot, but three of them were losses at the line yeah. of scrimmage, so it wasn't a ton. And he had six of those misses come on run plays. So I, I did see PFF gave a fairly low run score. I would agree with that, um, that it wasn't certainly mm-hmm. a, a normal standard for him. Zero to two on poles, zero blocks in level two, no pancakes, two highlight help blocks. And the big one was uh, Moses actually gave up a pressure to Bosa. And it was fairly late in the game, I think, this this occurred. And Zeitler came over for the help block and actually pancaked Bosa. <laughs> Before, so so he could not uh, you know get the sack delivered, but that was that was a very big play, and uh, and a fantastic highlight for Zeitler in terms of uh, taking away from the season. So C plus for him. So Bosa was Bosa must have been pancaked at least twice, right? Then because uh, Moses had the pancake in the in the run game, uh, I think in that in that second half. I wonder <laughs> I wonder how many games Nick Bosa's played where he's gotten pancaked twice in a game because. Uh, He's a, he's a guy who's uh, built different. He you know looks like a ca- Caucasian Miles Garrett out there, yeah. honestly, which is with the with with all of his muscles and just how how yoked up he is. So I guess credit to the Ravens for kind of putting him back in his place because uh, I think he's probably used to playing above the rim, so to speak. Yeah, uh, he's, he's certainly normally very effective. Let's talk about Moses since we just got into him. Another solid game. Played only forty six snaps and there's two and a half pressures, a third of a quarterback hit. Um, it's scoring systems more forgiving of tackles who give up a little bit of pressure in, in in some game in some games like this. He also helped himself by only missing two blocks. Only one of those was a loss at the line of scrimmage. That's always good for a game when you can have one or zero losses at the line of scrimmage that aren't among the pressures of the quarterback hits. Two level two blocks, one pancake, no pulls, two highlight combination blocks for him. You mentioned. Moses being out in space and what a pleasure he, he he was to watch. Still a complete surprise to me how great he's been in terms of mobility. Not at all expected when he came here, um, and he's been he's he's outstanding pulling tackle. He's really outstanding getting into space, and you know even just comparing him to Brown, who who wasn't terrible in this regard and could do things that you know moving up a half level to seal was was well within his wheelhouse. Moses just can do a lot more. Yeah, uh, I complimented him on his on his ability uh, to to get out in space uh, before training camp, and he was he was taken aback by the praise. So I think if you if you were able to uh, recite what you just told me about him, I'm sure he would appreciate it. Uh, great guy, he would appreciate it. He wouldn't. He would not appreciate it. It's like why didn't you expect that? He would get. No, no. I think he's he's a fun loving guy. I don't I don't know if. He's ever been told by a media member that he moves well in space, but <laughs> I did, and and he definitely liked it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's the I forget exactly where the Ravens are efficiency wise with screens, but that's why you know their kind of hiccups in the screen game this year have been disappointing because Linderbaum is so great on the move. Mm-hmm. You know, Ronnie Stanley when he's been healthy is you know obviously a significant athletic upgrade over Makari just in terms of his ability to get to those second level defenders a split second faster and, you know, be the guy to clear out that, that half yard of space that you need to, to, to turn like a three yard gain to a 13 or 33 yard gain. And then obviously Moses, you know, can, can do great, great stuff. So maybe we're just, you know, kind of counting down the days. It's, you know, maybe only a matter of time before they have a game where they're just, you know, killing a team with, with screens and, you know, the, the kind of stuff that has made the 49ers so effective about, you know, you know, if, if these teams are going to play Zay flowers, Zay flowers as much as they are, then maybe you take advantage of that by, you know, give them a convoy to kind of run in front of. But, um, you know, th- that is, I guess, just kind of one thing I would like to see the Ravens try to weaponize a little bit more effectively is just how well some of these guys can move in space, even if, you know, that means that you're kind of playing into the defense's hands. If they're, you know, defending Lamar with, with spies and, you know, you kind of are thrown into clogged areas. So I don't know. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's a real tug of war, I guess there um, with, with the screens and the decision to, to use them or not use them when you have someone like Lamar in the backfield. Yeah. No, it's a great point. I think a lot of people would love to see the screen pass come to Baltimore. It's uh, it's something that's been missing for a very, very, very long time. 
uh, from, I guess Ray Rice, you know, was, was probably the last guy who was really yeah. running a fair number of good uh, checkdowns like that in space. And even those weren't all screens, but the Ravens interior line at that time was unbelievably great. And I don't think we appreciated having Yonda Burke and Grubbs all at the same time and just how yeah. fantastic that crew was. I'll move on a little bit. Follow Lele, solid in 16 snaps. He's put together a two-game run here that I'm just going to talk about a little bit because it's, it doesn't seem like much until you realize how, how bad Falele has honestly been before this. Um, but he's, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I really want this to, to sound good because it is a positive. He said 49 snaps the last two games and he scored 35 points on that, which, which works out to be better than a 70 raw score. And uh, it, with adjustment, you know, might be another 0.04, 0.05 on top of that. So we'd be in the high 70s, which is a very solid C. Now, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Fa'alele had never had a previous game of 20-plus snaps uh, scored as anything but an F. And his total sack numbers per uh, passing snap played are exactly at the heart of that. He's just given up a ton of sacks um, during his time. It's not even yeah. really penalties. It's it's sacks. Um, and and it, to see him play this well, even over a 49-snap period, uh, gives me a lot of hope that he's going to be, gonna be uh, uh, you know, a little bit better down the road, and hopefully they can depend on him a little bit to play some more right tackle as needed. Yeah, or, or uh, I, I guess I'm curious. Maybe the Ravens showed their hand with and have shown their hand with uh, Ben Cleveland being their sixth offensive lineman as opposed to someone like Fa'olele. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, c- can you think of any situations where, where he has been the sixth offensive lineman as opposed to, to Cleveland? Has it always been Ben out there? I cannot recall an instance of it. And it just in terms of what you'd want out of that position, I think they would always go to Cleveland just because he's kind of a natural guard and you probably want a natural guard because you're working more with space than you want a natural tackle out there. Um, I, or sorry, a large lumbering tackle. <laughs> so let's change really what we're talking about here. Um, the only guy that I ever remember them using, and, and you know, we know he was a tremendous athlete, was was Haloti Nada in terms of a guy that they would yeah. go for real size on the edge, and and that was not there was no question of athleticism with him. <laughs> now, now you got me thinking about how Minnesota used Daniel Fatalele, and, and now yeah. I'm wondering if 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 the Ravens. Uh, take care of business against the Steelers like they did in 2019, where it just becomes kind of a, a runaway joke with not a whole lot of stakes. And, you know, maybe Tyler Huntley, it's, it's the fourth quarter. The Ravens are up like 24 to 10. You know, they, they get inside the three, then they, then they get inside the one. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if there's any uh, primal desire from Todd Munkin to line Daniel Filele in the backfield and give him the That'd be carry fun. just like a... Just like uh, what's face the uh, PJ Fleck at Minnesota did that 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 one time, or maybe maybe you have him, you know, line up at fullback at uh and and you know pretend to or and block someone or go out on a on a pass route on a play action. I mean, uh, just can you imagine how loud yeah MT Bank would get if Daniel Fowler scores a touchdown to just you know rub dirt in the eyes of Steelers of uh of a Steelers team that might be probably it's probably not heading to the playoffs and might be going to their first losing season, right? I guess it gets, it's, that's still in play for Pittsburgh, isn't it? Yeah, they can. They, they need to win one of the last two to to keep Tomlin's streak uh, alive that way. Uh, but it, you know, earlier this year, the twenty six yard reception, I think it was that whatever it was by Ricard might have been twenty nine. Um, the internet is a wonderful thing, so I looked up you know by weight you know what had happened, but you can't okay exactly. Not only did somebody you know figure this out that Ty Sambrello is the only uh, is the only player of higher weight that's ever had a reception as long, but somebody's able to immediately produce video of it and, and show the thing on, on on Twitter. But you know you ask the question and and uh, and people help out you know very quickly on that. But uh, second longest ever reception by a man weighing I think it was three hundred pounds or more was the was the record he set at that point. What when was the what what year was the uh, the, the play of the by the guy you just mentioned? Ty, Ty Sambrello's play was it was it was during the um, NFL Plus era. This since they've had the all the videos so since two thousand nine, okay. but I couldn't tell you whether it was two thousand seventeen, eighteen, sixteen, whatever it might have been. It might have been more recent than that even. But he was able to obviously okay. go back and use that resource to get it. 
Uh, anyway, Falele Asala gave him a quickly. McCary made seven of his eight blocks, left for the concussion, of course. And I, I don't think we need to talk about too much there because either of those guys, neither of them gets a letter grade on the game being under 20 blocks, but uh, uh, both of them were quite solid, I thought, in this one. So that was a, that was a nice uh, backup tackle play that the Ravens got. Yeah, and Macari in the concussion protocol, limited limited participant today, but good to see him out there on the field at the end of the walkthrough. Don't know what that suggests as for his level of activity, but it's always a good sign when these guys who are technically in the protocol are at least limited on the first day of the practice week. So hopefully training up to to be able to uh, to be available for, for Sunday's game against Miami. Great, great point. Great point. And I know that with Matt at BK, the Ravens really benefited, I think, from having that second week off because when the second week he was still limited um, yeah. uh, after the bye. So uh, thank goodness in terms of, of getting him back. Yeah. In time. I, I mean, to, 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 and to piggyback on your point, I guess pretty much anyone who was diagnosed with a concussion coming out of Monday would b- basically be ruled out because if, if it's a longest of long shots to you know make it through the protocol on a Sunday to Sunday turnaround than to do it on a Monday to Sunday turnaround would be just about impossible. Great point. Great point. All right. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the skill position players? And I really don't want to take any more of your time than I, that I need to here, but anybody that we haven't talked about that you'd like to you know put in some words for in this game. I, I don't know. I, I've been thinking a lot about Rashad Bateman lately. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't, I don't know how much of the like all 22 film, you are, are grinding, especially on, on on dropbacks. But have you talked about the uh, <laughs> the the much publicized, often shared uh, chart of of PFF data that shows just how much he's separating and and does yeah. that match up with your eye test from from what you've seen? Um, I I don't know that I that I would say it definitely does or definitely doesn't. Um, we may have a favorite side of the field situation going on where Bateman usually lines up on the left side, so a lot of his routes go there. That could be something that's dragging back on it. But I mean, coming out of Minnesota, he's he's the best route runner the Ravens have. Beckham is one of the best of the last decade, but Beckham doesn't have the the, the instant quickness that he has anymore. We have we have Flowers, and he's a very sudden athlete. Um, but he's not a great route runner. Great route runners throw wiggle and make their opponent make a mistake at the top of the stem. And that's what that's what Bateman does. Right. And so he's he should be the best. I would expect him to be the highest separation of the Ravens receivers based on that. Um, uh, and you know, by the way, Flowers had an incredible separation game in this last game. Did you, you see it? Something like 4.7 yards per play that Next yeah. Gen posted. And, and you throw to him for, you know, <laughs> this minimal amount of yards per target. <laughs> after yeah. that. I, I do. I do wonder. I do wonder how much of that is contextual, like, you know, yeah. When in the same way that we were, and I use the Royal we to talk about like the, the NFL media and Ravens media, we're talking about how quickly and how accurately Lamar was throwing for the first quarter, first half of the season when a lot of that was premised on he's throwing more screens than he ever has. He, he's throwing more quick game than he ever has. So obviously you have this lower degree of difficulty and, um, you know, if you're throwing screens, then your percentage, your accuracy is going to get up and your time to throw is going to go up. And, you know, as the Ravens have weaned themselves off the screens, uh, Lamar's accuracy has come down and his time to throw has gone up. And, and in the same way that, like, if all Zay Flowers is getting RPOs because uh, a guy is blitzing and, you know, his slot defender is lining eight yards off the line of scrimmage, well, then obviously that is going to do wonders for his average separation. Yes. And, and say, it may be true of screen passes too, that if he backs up three yards into the backfield to take the pass and no one's, you know, jetting after him right at that point, he might have six yards of separation or more on the, on those plays to start with. Exactly. And that may not mean much. I, I completely agree with that. And, and, I'd want to dig deeper into that to see what are the components of each of that. And that's the way you, you determine if it made contextual sense. And you see, I see what's happening. If you really looked into that, you know, it, that's a hard work component to football analysis that just doesn't always show up in things, but it just lay out the components of what you're doing. Look, look at every single play, Uni- universal review of things is critical, but then try to understand what are the common threads between the pieces of data you just collected are. And it's, I, I don't, I don't see that. It's not natural film people. They want to show you one clip that supports their position. 
And it's it's one of the things that I have a lot of problems with. Great. I mean, if 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 you don't have an agenda and you just want to show one crypt and say, this is a great rep by Patrick Queen, I respect the way that Ryan Mink does that, for example. I think he does a very good job of going through individual clips, putting them out there and saying that. What I don't like is, here's why the Ravens' offense is so dangerous. Lamar Jackson is beating everybody every anytime they pressure him, and they have two clips of him, Lamar, you know, winning with pressure when you and I both know Lamar's had generally above average season, but, but a, but a very up and down season and how he's reacted to pressure. Um, you know, I, I, I think completeness of analysis requires more. And, and it's something that's very hard for a lot of people to do. They either don't have the time for it. They don't have the, they don't really have the desire to do it. Um, and, and there's sometimes they're, they're uncomfortable trying to, to fish through that kind of information for, for meaningful conclusions that can come for it. And what you're saying about the context things means you have all the ability to do it, Jonas. It's just, it is an extreme, it's an extremely time consuming process to go through that. That, that said, I trust your judgment on these things at, at, a, at a very high level, just because of the way you process information, uh, in the way you described it right there. Yeah, and and not an offensive player, but just the thinking about the contextual gymnastics that we that some people choose not to participate in or, or engage in. Just you know, I, I think Marlon Humphrey's having a great season personally, mm-hmm. but I I get why people wouldn't think that because he has been on the business side of a couple big plays that have victimized the Ravens to, to start with, obviously Pickens. the Dickens touchdown uh, against Pittsburgh. And then obviously the, the you know kind of late fourth quarter uh, receptions that he allowed and the interception that he couldn't come down with against LA. But I feel like, you know, every game that he's played after the game that he's come back from injury, he's been, he's been stellar. You know, there was a, a, a stretch there before he, got hurt against Cleveland where he'd, he'd allowed like like three catches for something like 18 yards and like a four game span or something like that. And, you know, because he's not, you know, fruit punch Marlin anymore because he's playing on the outside and he's not able to get his hands on, you know, guys going over the middle or, you know, go for the, 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 the strip balls on, on ball carriers. And that somehow means that he's not as impactful or important a player. I mean, I just I think it's a bunch of hooey, and you know it was interesting to see him move back into the slot and be really really impactful against the 49ers just because of how they like to you know line up personnel wise. But I, I still think you know having him be your cornerback one um, on this team with with as many great defensive back pieces that there is the Ravens have is is a, is a great thing. And you know yeah. I think Brandon Stevens had a a, a tough you know, night uh, in, in some regards against San Francisco, which is not a surprise because Ayuk and Samuel are, are two of the best receivers in the NFL. But if he's your your number two and Marlon's your number one, then uh, I think you really have to like how you match up against pretty much any offense in the AFC. I And I, I wouldn't even mind if it was the other way around, but I guess it doesn't really matter, really, <laughs> who's number one and number two. Doesn't the, matter the, at all. I, I don't want to go too far down this because I know we're way over time here, but Humphrey had one of the great physical plays uh, you'll ever see in McKivitz, who who obviously was on the on the business end of a lot of bad news in the in this last game, um, pulled from right tackle. So it was when he's pulling a right tackle uh, to get ahead of a run, a stretch run right by McCaffrey, McCaffrey, mm-hmm. and Marlon Humphrey ran downhill right into McKivitz. So first of all, there's not a lot of cornerbacks who are outweighed by more than a hundred pounds by the guys they're running into, who are going to go directly into that contact. But not only did he hit him hard, he backed him up about three yards in the process. McKivitz didn't get his hands on him. He couldn't fling him to the ground or do any of the things that he, that he probably should have done on the play, but he got backed him up by three yards. Anyway, McCaffrey, McCaffrey bubbles to the outside, you know, just exactly what you do to blow up a run play. You bubble it. And, and, Matabike and Roquan Smith made the tackle for minus one. Those two guys got up off the tackle and they're high-fiving each other. <laughs> Sorry, Humphrey is on his knees behind the play. And I'm thinking, there's a guy over there who deserves the credit. <laughs> you should be high-fiving him. Yeah. And, uh, it's just and you know, I, I, I love him. I love his personality. But, you know, who would never do that uh, of recent Ravens vintage is Marcus Peters. <laughs> Mar- Marcus Peters would have been uh, taking that playoff. Marcus Peters is not bubbling any uh run plays against the 49ers um you know ball lock instincts of a defensive genius but uh 
run defense optional, frankly, for the past couple of years of his career, yeah. which is a shame because he's so much fun to watch in, in other aspects of his game. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, definitely true. Uh, anybody else you want to talk about here? I'm, I'm, uh, I think we've talked about likely we've talked about Hill Edwards. Uh, how about Nelson Aguilar coming back and making that play? <laughs> how about it? Uh, yeah. Uh, there, there are a couple Eagles fans in my life. So whenever Nelson Aguilar does anything, interesting or good uh i make sure to, to let them know about it but you know i don't know if he's ever going to have like a another 50 yard game over the rest of the season but if he can just be the guy who gets open at, at crucial spots like he did against the rams and obviously like he did against the 49ers and that that very small contract the ravens gave gave him will will be totally worth it i mean i think it's probably already paid for itself just by the you know kind of confidence that he was able to give lamar in some of those early days of training camp where there weren't a lot of other guys either up to speed or healthy. Um, so, you know, he, he's definitely meshed well with, with this, with this Ravens locker room. I think he's, he's very much beloved and um, you know, it's good to see him uh, be, be a part of the celebrations and, and, and be uh, as involved as he has been. It's, it's been interesting that like, despite the PFF stats of, you know, how much separation he's uh, Rashad Bateman is getting, it seems like it's a pretty close to 50, 50 split between Aguilar and Bateman for that third wide receiver spot. If you know, we're assuming that Zay and OBJ are one, two. So I think that's a pretty glaring uh, indication of you know, how yeah. the coaching staff thinks about those guys and, and what kind of value they're adding to the offense. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think what he's done in terms of being a guy on extended plays has been something the Ravens could really, really go to. The, he's had 38 targets, which is probably two and a half times what I thought he might have this year. Certainly double. You know, I, I, I really didn't see him as a guy who was going to get on the field a lot. Um, I'm I'm happy with the contract. I'm still not really thrilled about giving up the sixth round draft pick, but it is what it is, and and I'm I'm, I'm okay with it at this point. I think he's done enough to 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 justify it uh, on that basis. The other thing I'm really not happy about, though, I got to tell you, with with the with the Ravens is how much void money they've already spent out of 24. Because there's a year where they're going to have 43 percent of the snaps leaving in free agency. And they're already down, you know, what, $20 million or so in terms of, of void year expenditures might be more than that, um, that they're yeah. going to have to eat before the year even starts. So, you know, they'll, they'll have to continue to kick the can down the road to, to re-sign just a fraction of the, the players who are leaving or, or get other ones to replace them. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> going to be a quiet off season in terms of, in terms of uh, probably not a whole lot of Welcome to Baltimore press conferences. Maybe welcome back to Baltimore press conferences if if they find a way to, to do a deal with Matt Abike. But uh, yeah, it's get used to it, guys. Uh, it's it's going to be uh, this is going to be the the new normal, I think, for for as long as Lamar's under contract. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the nature of second quarterback contracts is every dollar is scrutinized. Are, are you ready to go with a three, two, one MVP list? Yeah, uh, I, I guess one before we do MVP. Um, not to look too far ahead, but are you, have you thought at all about kind of the, the thought experiment? If you want, not really, it's not really a thought experiment, but like, are you at all curious about what a week 18 game for Tyler Huntley might look like as it stands as like a kind of photo negative of the Lamar Jackson passing experience? You know, you know, we know Tyler has that, that second playability, but you know, I think back to when he was, gosh, was rookie year and, you know, he came in for Lamar, after he hurt his uh, ankle, I guess it was. And, you know, Rashad Bateman had that great game. Um, Lamar's not really the kind of guy to like throw back shoulder fades. And that's something that Tyler seems like he's more willing and or able to do. Lamar's not really, you know, super into like throwing those, those stick routes. That's something that Tyler Huntley is more willing and able to do. So, for, for as much as it would be a relief for me for the Ravens to to wrap things up and you know just kind of have their their playoff situation settled, uh, I am also just kind of maybe morbidly curious to see how different a Ravens passing attack with everyone on that wide receiver core involved, but a different quarterback manning it would look. You know, it's it's a really interesting thing because not like we have no experience with this. So uh, we do right. we kind of have a limitation in terms of not having a lot of receivers here the last couple of years, which may be the point you're making. But the ball had to be out quickly. Um, you know, in 21 when he when he came in, and also in 22 when he came in, 
because tackle play was not at, at, let's say, an ideal level, certainly not in 21 with Alejandro Villanueva manning the left side. Um, And and in 22, there were problems there as well at various times during the season. Um, And and the the ball just had to be out quickly both years, really limited what Huntley could do. In a lot of ways, I think what he did was, was pretty impressive. To, to have helped the Ravens stay close in as many games as they did. Um, and, and you still have a chance in 21 to be in the playoffs almost to the end of the year. Um, yeah. I, it's just, it's, it's a, you know, in terms of what will the offense look like, honestly, right now with the Ravens situation being what they have to tackle, I think the ball would be out quickly again. I think um, <laughs> his, his, um, own pocket awareness is while he has some ad- additional throw ability that's higher, and we've certainly seen that in the preseason. His own pocket awareness is is, is very low, and um, every time that he's been in there, he's found ways to make sacks out of what should have been throwaways. Whereas Lamar generally scrambles or or will go down for a shorter sack uh, a lot of times. So I'm I'm um, you know I, I think that that leads to to offense coordinators to want to scheme the ball out quickly and unfortunately i think that that's what might be what we'd see again in week 18 i think it'd be a lot of protection and would you be shocked if we saw malik cunningham in the game too uh it's, gosh i hadn't, hadn't hadn't even considered that uh i guess i wouldn't be um i mean you know they they talked about how he's lining up at a bunch of different spots in practice i haven't really gotten eyes on him doing anything but quarterback drills um I guess it would, you know, maybe they would line him up at wide receiver if they want to rest Zay, rest OBJ. Um, You know, it it would seem more likely that they would call up, you know, Laquan Treadwell and and have him active on game day ahead of Malik Cunningham if there is a consideration of him at wide receiver. I don't know. Maybe Cunningham's on the 53. So he's he's, he's, he's already there. He doesn't have to be called up. But, but, yeah, and maybe there's like a weird two quarterback, <laughs> two two quarterback uh, package that they would, you know, get get funky with. But yeah, I, I guess I hadn't really considered that. But um, just thinking about it now, it would probably be a pretty limited role for him, just considering how how little time he spends in the offense and under Todd Munkin. But you know, players talk about how relatively easy this offense is to learn. So maybe you throw him out there for one random drive in the second quarter, and you know, see if he if he sinks or floats. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about we talk some MVPs? Three, two, one. Good to go. Yeah. Okay. Who's your number three guy? Number three. Um, you know, it's tough <laughs> after the top two. There's not a whole lot of a whole lot of obvious candidates. Uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll go with what you with what you have, which which is Gus. Um, you know, relatively efficient running the ball. I, I know we, we didn't talk a whole lot about running efficiency in in that first pod we did, but just looking at the rushing yards over expectation, he was plus four. Um, so you know, pretty close to average. Uh, Justice Hill minus twenty four. A little bit of a yikes there. Mm-hmm. Lamar obviously plus seventeen. Uh, but but just the. The, the the nice touchdown that he had on fourth and one, and then of course the the long catch and run, which kind of added a nice little highlight to uh, the Lamar Jackson possible MVP reel. Um, you know, it's always fun to, to to see him rumble in space. Uh, it was fun to see him, you know, do the thing that we see him do seemingly every other week now, where he becomes like a lead blocker for <laughs> Justice Hill or for mm-hmm. Keaton Mitchell or for Lamar Jackson. That's always just a bit of a uh, you know, funny football, uh, just instance. Cause how many times do you see a guy like Gus Edwards become an actual lead block for someone else and have it be as effective as it seemingly always is. So yeah, I mean, uh, with, with just the, the dearth of obvious options and some of the injuries that the guys along the offensive line took, I, I guess I'll, I'll agree with you and, and go with uh, Gus Edwards. I, I think it's a good choice, and and uh, I like all the things you did. I like the 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 pony backfield. The one other statistical thing I'll add is that if you look at the Devoa success rank rating um, percentage success percentages on run plays, all the Ravens running backs are right up there near the top of the league, including Hill. Yeah. Um, so so it's it's even if the plays go for relatively short yards and there's not a chance for a lot of yards over expectation when you are running from the one yard line. 
how many yards over expectation right. can you possibly get? You know, <laughs> so uh, right. anyway, the, the, the he's been tremendously successful in in that particular regard in terms of of, of having a high success rate. Um, the, the other guy that I would mention that I didn't include in my top three was my top honorable mention was Isaiah Likely. It was the guy who was having trouble yep. deciding if he'd be the, the, was, the three or four guy. Yeah, yeah, that, that's totally fair. Uh, another nice long catch and run. Um, uh, I don't know how he graded out as a as a pass blocker or run blocker, but um, just, just what what he gives you as a guy who can stress linebackers or stress safeties. Um, not Mark Andrews level, but but you know he's he's definitely getting there level wise. He got he got a little piece of Warner on the touchdown that the, the, the announcers took the time to right. to talk about on the on the touchdown by Edwards. So that was nice. That was the fourth and one, right? I think it was. Yep. All right, your number two guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna, gonna step on your toes and and, and go with Zay, <laughs> he, even though it wasn't wasn't super enthralling uh, aside from that that one touchdown catch uh, i think the the nine catches were uh tied a, a career high if, he, if he'd hit 10 uh, he would have had uh, a new personal best but um you know just another another kind of strange day for the receiving box score to see lamar go for 250 and you're kind of scratching your head looking at who it was who was like the second and third leading scorer uh second and third leading receiver after zay um but you know he, he, he's gonna be I guess because of Odell's injury concerns and just the the, the wear and tear of the season, it, it's I guess pretty safe to say that you know he, he's wide receiver one uh, at this point. Um, you know, even though that that title can and has changed week week by week, but you know he, he was there. He did did he have the the one drop? I forgot. I know Bateman had a drop. Had, did, did Zay? Oh have wait, a drop? did Zay have a drop? Um, actually, I can't remember. I can't remember dropping this game. Might have been, but I can't. Yeah. I just can't remember. But but for the most part, pretty sure-handed considering the volume of of passes that he got thrown his way. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm in agreement, and I thought that the the play that really stood out with all of the short passes he basically has been tossed. It actually is not the full yards of the target were not captured on that pass play, which is towards the back of the end zone where he found space uh, on that nine yard touchdown. So while it, it showed up probably as nine, it really was more like. 17 or something so it's a it's a it's an exceptional uh place to find space one of the best is is in the end zone and uh uh, flowers is has been effective uh celebrations uh aside um he's he's been very effective at getting the end zone recently yeah another great great celebration (laughs) none of the linemen none of the linemen that that i asked about uh, knew what the hell was going on so that was obviously like a uh only the cool kids you know sit sit at this lunch table kind of thing because (laughs) ronnie stanley or tyler Linderbaum did not have a clue what what was going on morgan moses who's who's very much in in the lamar circle also had no idea what was going on i thought the interception by hamilton that celebration for that was really pretty cool going under the christmas tree and finding a football Oh, okay. So that's what it was. I, yeah, I, they opened me, his present. It was a football. <laughs> okay. It's, I, I I never got any. I never got. I never thought to ask for for clarity on that. And obviously, Kyle was, was banged up, um, so we didn't get a chance to talk to him after the game. But looking at the celebration again today, I was like, is he shaking open a, like a a magic potion and like opening, <laughs> wake, waking a genie? But no, <laughs> Christmas tree makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Anyway, your number one guy. I'm sure it's we got the same. Yeah, why don't you take the take the floor? Uh, well, <laughs> you should, Lamar, Lamar Jackson, and I think it's it's uh, this is obviously a big flip in narrative in terms of who the MVP is in the league. And before the game, you could get five to one on Lamar Jackson, and now you get three to five on Lamar Jackson. And before the game, you could get three to five on Brock Purdy, pretty much. And now you can get thirteen to one. Actually, I was told Jeremy Kahn, who's much more into this than I am, said he'd seen it as high as sixteen to one today. Isn't isn't he like now sixth? I think sixth in the in the in the MVP. I'll look it up while while you talk about Lamar here. I'll 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 go ahead and get the current best prices. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I think you know I wrote about this uh, in the game recap, but just Lamar is. It's going to be if and when he wins his MVP. It's going to be a very interesting highlight reel for an MVP because. It's a lot of small things that he's doing well. You know, you think back to 2019, he had the he his he is Houdini run against the Bengals. He had yep. a five touchdown night. 
against the Rams. He had the single season rushing record for a quarterback. And right now, you know, a lot of his biggest plays, I think, were in that first half of the season. Like, you know, the the game against Detroit, the game against Seattle. Um, he's had really impressive plays, but not super. They, they either haven't scored or they just haven't been that splashy uh, that you expect from an MVP. So um, the I'm really excited, or not excited, I'm really interested to see like the the range of appraisals of what this MVP season could be and what it says about Lamar and what it says about the NFL in 2023 and what it says about like just kind of the what it takes to win MVP you know the, the whole idea this is now more of a, a Heisman Trophy situation where it's like the best player on the best team except right. in exceptional circumstances because in terms of all the advanced metrics, in terms of like the counting stats, this is nowhere near 2019, but he's doing things in 2019 that uh, he he definitely did not do. And we should give him full credit for that. And, um, you know, yes, he has a really great defense. Yes, he has a really great special teams unit, but he's also doing extremely impressive things to, to lift this offense in spite of some of the circumstances and some of the injuries that uh, have, that I guess would cripple another offense with a lesser quarterback we didn't get to the whole mailbag but one of the points made was how can pff grade the gravitational pull of lamar jackson and they can't (laughs) they'd be the first to admit they can't and that's really where the value is a lot of it is you know the ravens running game is still extraordinarily effective even at lower yards per carry in terms of success rate metrics or, or or other things and and uh it's good but i got the i got the odds on the mvp here uh let's go through these really quickly lamar jackson one dollar bet returns you $1.59. So you make 59 cents for every dollar you bet. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, your dollar gets you back $7.50. Joe Burrow, it's $9.50. Tua, $11. Brock Purdy, $15. Joe Burrow's third? Oh, I'm sorry. He is listed out there. It's obviously a sucker bet because he's the only one... One player is there. Great point. This is a sucker bet that Caesars has obviously got left out there. So if somebody wants to, it's <laughs> still it's out there. Nobody else is offering uh, has a price on him. Tua eleven dollars. <laughs> uh, Brock Purdy fifteen dollars. Uh, Josh Allen fifteen dollars. Okay. And then it drops off to Dak Prescott and Tyreek Hill at twenty six dollars. So they're the only those two twenty five to one shots are the only two that are better than forty to one. So Jackson is is yeah. the man. If he gets through this game, he's got it. Right, right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not much of a better, but, you know, I guess I do understand the, the notion of value bets. And, you know, this is a really good Miami defense that's coming up. And if Lamar struggles and if the Bills can turn the Jets on and, and win these next mm-hmm. two games and, and he just goes supernova, I mean, the, the advanced stats love him. He's obviously had a turnover issue, but he's also been just a, a you know, scoring machine. So uh, if you are a fan of, you know, long shot bets, uh, I, I wouldn't be opposed to you putting money on on Josh Allen. Uh, that, that's that's definitely something to consider. But obviously, I think the uh, all, all the smart money for for now would definitely be on Lamar. If you haven't gotten it, uh, if you haven't gotten it there already, yeah, there's a there's kind of a race to the bottom. It looks like on Purdy, uh, he eliminated any chances, as far as I'm concerned, to, to win the MVP based on yeah, what happened sure. in the, on this national stage. And I I think it uh, it's, especially with Sam Darnold coming in right after him and doing basically just as good a job, <laughs> if not better. Yeah. All right, Jonas, such a pleasure to talk football with you. Thanks for joining us again. Tell us, uh, tell people where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, uh, just follow me on Twitter at Jonas underscore Schaefer. Um, obviously, uh, playoffs are coming up, so got a lot of great coverage plans hopefully coming together over these next couple of weeks. Uh, $1 for, for six months. Um, got a podcast that I host with uh, my bud, uh, Paul Mancano, who also works the banner. Uh, just called the Banner Ravens podcast. We do uh, Thursday preview shows and uh, Sunday or <laughs> Monday night post game shows as well. Only about uh, a half hour, so <laughs> a relative digest compared to the uh, the opuses of the. <laughs> Sorry about <laughs> this. Ken <laughs> music, sir. Um, but yeah, uh, just if you if you like our stuff, just tell other people because we're still trying to build some brand awareness for the Banner and uh, just you know try to. Find a, find a spot in the Baltimore media ecosystem. All right. Great stuff. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. I want to hear what your 
idea is for a show and I want to talk to you about it and massage it into something we do in 15 to 20 minutes. I swear that's really what I'm trying to get to, Jonas. I want to have some shorter content that people will look at. I found myself watching YouTube videos and I want to uh-huh. learn what's going on in the Ukraine. I want to hear about history and various things. I want to, there's a lot of things I want to get. And then I look at it and I'm saying, I can't do a 40 minute video. And I'm thinking somebody's doing that to my podcast out there. They're saying I can't listen because of that. Anyway, really appreciate the loyalty of this audience. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this. I'm sure Jonas completely paid it off in terms of this episode. Jonas, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Appreciate it for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries, and with that we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.